And Lord, now we've come to the important part of this service when we open your book and we mind the truths of its pages. We ask you to touch us this morning, O Lord, as we gather around the table of the Lord for this Thanksgiving message. And I ask you to touch us with liberty and give us, O Lord, clarity and coherence that we may repeat the things that you've said to us in prayer. Touch us as we deliver the word of the Lord this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's apparent that our very earliest pilgrims and colonists were accustomed to regularly observing Thanksgiving days. In fact, every time something good happened among the Puritans and the pilgrims, they just proclaimed that it would be a, a day of Thanksgiving and they'd just spend a day thanking the Lord and all the family would gather together and they would eat a meal and it was just a time of unity. It was a time of gathering. And they did that pretty often. In fact, one incident occurred above the Wampumquag Indians that about a hundred of their tribes showed up for one of their Thanksgiving meals. And they all joined together and the Indians just gathered right in there with them and they brought the venison and the wild turkey and all that kind of stuff and contributed to the meal and they observed a Thanksgiving day. Well, that's centuries ago and very soon after our uh, people discovered America. Uh, of course, us Indians were already here. Uh, I don't think we were Wapanock. Uh, best I know, we're Cherokee, so I don't know where Wapanocks. They must be somewhere up in Delaware or somewhere, but there were Native Americans that were already here and were already interested in these strange Europeans, these English colonists that had come and had uh, had some kind of ambition about a new world being discovered and all the things that were, were good about it. And in 1798, the U.S. Congress passed legislation about the observance of a Thanksgiving, but they left it up to all the states to do. It seems that some of the states objected to the national government's involvement in a religious observance. They were so obsessed with uh, keeping church and state separate that they didn't want to really get involved in the state observing a what was a religious observation. And uh, the southern states, we've always been kind of rambunctious, you know, and uh, kind of rebellious at times. And uh, we just didn't like the idea of the Thanksgiving thing because that started in the northern states. So if the northern states embraced it, us southern states says that's not for us. So it just was left up to states, and states, some observed it and some didn't. Unfortunate for us in the southern states, they didn't have a lot to do with it. But it, it seems strange that during the Civil War, can you believe this? There was a woman. I said there was a woman whose name was Sarah Josepha Hale. She was the editor of a prominent magazine and she went to President Lincoln and she told President Lincoln this nation ought to have a day called Thanksgiving Day. This nation ought to be a, a thankful nation and it ought to be a grateful nation. And how many times have I done military funerals when the uh, military personnel would fold the flag and come over and say to the survivor that got the flag, uh, the President of the United States and a grateful nation 
presents you this flag. Well, it's right for us to be grateful. We should be a grateful nation in America. Richest nation on the face of the earth. Amen. The poorest in this house today would be rich by 98% of the world's population. Do you realize that? The person who makes the least in all of this congregation today would be considered rich in 98% of the world's population. Can you believe how God has so bountifully blessed America and how God has been so wonderfully good to America? And on October the 3rd, 1863, during the Civil War, President Lincoln established a day of thanksgiving. Can you imagine that in the midst of a war, <laughs> that, that seems kind of strange that in the midst of a war that a proclamation of thanksgiving was made. But I want to tell you, thanksgiving is a great weapon. People who live with gratefulness and thanksgiving in their heart are victorious people. Amen. In fact, the Bible said we could defeat the power of the enemy with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, Beware lest this philosophies of men and the ideology of the age and the rudiments of the world overcome you. But he said, Follow after the Lord Jesus with thanksgiving. You mean thanksgiving will help me not to become a victim of vain deceit or philosophy of men. You mean I can really make a mark for God and remain true and faithful to him through living a life of thanksgiving? I think every day ought to be Thanksgiving Day. I think every week ought to be Thanksgiving week. I think every year ought to be Thanksgiving year. In fact, the Bible said, enter into his courts with praise and, and enter his gates with thanksgiving. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good, the Bible says. We're admonished so many times to observe Thanksgiving. Did you know that President Roosevelt, in an effort to extend Christmas season for economical reasons, wanted to move back the date that was set by the Continental Congress and make it the third Thursday in November? But Congress was against it. And so they compromised on the fourth Thursday. Would you believe that that was done during World War II? The two observances by the Congress of the United States of America were done when the nation was at war. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? That when we're at war, we start thanking God. That when we're attacked and when we're in peril and lives are being lost and we're threatened by a, a devastation and a catastrophe, we somehow find ourselves being grateful to God. Why is it that during the times of our greatest need is the times that we start to recognize God and be thankful to God? America is the richest and the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. But there are warnings in God's word about becoming proud and arrogant and not recognizing God. Psalm chapter 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 33 and 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. You see, this weekend we're celebrating 242 years of living as a free nation under God. 
how blessed we are to have a history like ours. That the biggest obstacle we have ever had is when we turned on one another and fought what we call as the Civil War. There were more people killed during the Civil War than there have been in every other war that we've ever fought combined. In other words, we did more destruction to one another than we ever did to a foreign power. That's kind of a blight that is on our, our past and on our, our history. But you know what? Wouldn't it be something today if you heard this? This announcement, CNN, ready for a CNN, breaking news, headline news just out of Anniston, Alabama. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has just issued this statement. Divine providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for leadership. Well, Fox News has got to counter and just headline news from Fox News just off the press. Inquiries by our reporters reveal that almost every state legislature has now passed a law requiring all elected officials to take this oath. I do profess faith in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son, and I do hereby acknowledge the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Or what if you were to hear this? Legislation was passed today in Congress to affirm that the Congress of the United States of America approves of and recommends the Holy Bible for use in public schools. Well, I think all of us know that the results would be so startling to those announcements, especially in the left-wing media. I think honestly there would be rioting and marching and looting and burning and all kinds of violence. The amazing thing about all three of those statements that I just made is they're historically and accurately true. It was John Jay who was the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court who called the father who is called the father of the Supreme Court, one of the primary writers of our Constitution, and he wrote this. Are you ready? The first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court wrote this. It is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their leaders. You mean the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court feels like we ought to vote for and elect Christians to serve in leadership? Are you kidding me? It was in the state of Delaware, along with most others, which required office holders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could take office, and they had a very logical reason for that requirement. Congress in 1782 approved the use of the Bible. Are you hearing me? Congress in 1782 approved the use of the Bible in public schools and even paid for books with tax dollars. 
You mean there was a time when Congress bought Bibles for public schools to use to teach? I hope I'm startling some of you because it's letting you know how far America has wandered from its roots and how far America has loosed from its moorings. That there was a time in this country when chief justices and when congressmen felt like the Bible was the most important thing for our country, that they took an oath that they would believe it. In the Congress, they approved this and ruled this. Why should not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools? Where can you find the purest principles of morality and be learned so clearly and so perfectly as from the New Testament? You see, if the founding fathers were alive today, brother, do you think they, they, wouldn't t- they would be castigated? They would be slandered? They would be mocked for making such statements as those? So we have evolved from a nation that was so dependent upon the Bible and so dependent upon the Word of God and so dependent upon providence to a nation that thumbs its nose at God and has replaced the Bible with the Koran in public schools. We sit here today in a nation that is not called a Christian nation in the United Nations In their sessions, America is called a pagan nation because the amount of Christians are now so much in the minority that we can't even be called a Christian nation anymore. Wow. You see, these holidays that roll around come around to remind us of what we once were, a strong nation that had a strong belief in God, and today we have digressed from that to be a a nation that won't even allow Bibles to be read or prayer to be offered in public schools. America has sown to the wind and she'll reap the whirlwind because that Bible says every nation that forgets God will go to destruction. You see, we've wandered away from our roots and this morning I just have such a conviction that the people of our republic need to know these things But you're not going to hear them on television. And you're not going to hear hear TV preachers preach them. And you're not going to hear congressmen get up and say them. If it's said and it's done in this country, it'll come from the pulpits of America. And they are the ones that have to stand up and preach the truth to people in pews and people in chairs. And pastors owe it to people to tell them exactly what we were founded upon and what we've gone to. Our our school systems and our institutes of higher learning, seminaries, colleges, and universities have become so secularized, so distracted and distanced from religion that huge chunks of information about who we were and how we were founded have been left out of the history books because it makes people believe too much that God was responsible for the birth of our nation. There are a lot of things that's wrong with America. But there are some things that are right about America. And I'm thankful for those things that are right. The first thing that I think is right with America is that the earliest settlers were people who came here primarily looking for religious freedom. 
other nations came to conquer and for selfish ambitions, but it's primarily the pursuit of God, not gold, that America was born. The hardy souls who sailed on the Mayflower. Wow. We call them pilgrims. But did you know they gathered in the bow of that boat and realized we're going to need some form of governance when we establish this, this, this new country and this new world. In the Mayflower Compact, which they signed beneath the swinging lantern in the cabin of their ship, they proclaimed that they had come to the new world for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. So next time somebody tells you the Mayflower story, next time somebody tells you about Plymouth Rock and Plymouth Bay Colony, you say, yes, and that agreement they agreed before they ever touched land was that they were there for the glory of God and they were there to establish the kingdom of God and advance his kingdom. But do you think on the pages of the history book when our kids read about the Mayflower and read about Plymouth Rock and Plymouth Bay Colony that they ever mention that? No. And that's why pulpits have to mention it. And pulpits need to preach it. That their intention was not to get rich. Their intention was not to mine gold. Their intention was for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The first public building that was built. Are you listening to this pastor? The first building that was built in every settlement was a church. Every time that colonists came the first thing they did was build a church. It was the most prominent building in the settlement. Wow. The first public exercise before they did anything else when they settled in a place and established we're going to live here, we're going to build a city here, we're going to build a place for dwelling here. First thing they did is pray and worship God. You mean our first Americans thought there was nothing more important to do than to pray and worship God. Before you build walls, before you build buildings, before you do anything else, you first stop and thank God and pray and worship. And that's the way colonists came to this this country, around the turn of the century in 1500, the next 150 years as a British colony or a British colonization, more and more Europeans started arriving. The 18, in 1643, they joined together to form the England Confederation. They actually wrote a constitution, the first one ever written in this vast new world. It begins with these words. Are you ready for it? Whereas we all came to these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. So our forefathers were spiritual forefathers. They came to the shores of America so they could worship and practice their faith. And that is something that is very right about America. 
Second thing I think is right about America is our forefathers and our founders saw themselves as servants of God. The earliest Americans had a strong desire to do the will of God. I mentioned that in the prayers that they prayed. And there was about 150 years there, about a century and a half, when people came from Europe by the boatloads, literally. In fact, England emptied their prisons and sent all of their prisoners. In fact, if you're from Georgia, cover your ears up right now. But Georgia mostly was colonized by people that were emptied out of those prisons and sent to America. I heard some Georgians groan a little bit. Well, most of the population was of that same kind. In fact, the way that people purged themselves, countries purged themselves of the undesirables was put them on a ship and send them to America. In fact, they promised people to be indentured servants. In other words, they could keep some of what they made if they would go to America. They came by the boatloads. So that what was such a strong, powerful Christian nation suddenly became overwhelmed with people who were unbelievers and people, and the population was mostly unchristian and pagan. And that 150 years, Christians went down to about 10% populated in the whole uh, colonies. By 1730, America was populated by prisoners, outcasts, deceitful businessmen looking to profit from the treasures of the new land. You see, as time passed and those original settlers died off, many of their descendants were more concerned with increasing their wealth and comfortable living than they were about being faithful to God and His Word. And soon, as wave after wave of immigrants arrived, some people came for the wrong reasons and with entirely different motives. The spiritual atmosphere had deteriorated rapidly. Churches were dying, and many of them that had once sought religious freedom were now being intolerant of others. And it was during that time that some went off into strange spiritual directions. How many of you ever heard of the Salem Witch Trials? You know what started that? In 1692, a Haitian slave girl was bought by her master to live in Salem, Massachusetts, and she began to tell young girls her wild and vivid tales about the power of Satanism and black magic and voodoo, and it wasn't long until fear filled the whole community and the Salem witch hunt began. Listen, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The end result was that by 1730, only 10% of the colonies attended church at all. Would it surprise you to know that in America that's about the same ratio right now? But when something deteriorates and gets to that point, God always has a people. God's always got a voice. 
God has always got somebody that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. God's always got somebody that will stand between the porch and the altar and cry aloud and spare not. God's always got somebody that will call for a solemn assembly. God's always got somebody that will sound the alarm. God's always got somebody that will blow the trumpet in Zion and will let people know that God has the answer for all of their derelict and intestable ways. So God said, America needs a revival. America needs a revival. And something fantastic happened. Beginning in 1734, there was a handful of preachers. Anybody ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? What was his famous sermon? Anybody know? Sinners in the hands of an angry God was his sermon. Anybody ever heard of George Whitefield? George Whitefield on two or three hands. See, you don't know these people. You know why? History don't want you to know about these people. You've not heard of them because you've not been taught their names and what an impact they had upon this country. When people like George Whitefield and Gilbert Tennant and John Wesley and others began to preach in these churches and in these streets and in these fields and these soon turned into great crusades and revivals that spread throughout the whole 13 colonies. Benjamin Franklin wrote this. Are you ready? You do know Benjamin Franklin. About half of you do. Here's what he said. It was wonderful to see the change that was soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless and indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world was growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms being sung in different families on every street. In fact, Franklin was so impressed with George Whitefield's preaching that he helped build an auditorium to accommodate the crowds. Crowds up to 30,000 came to hear George Whitefield preach the Word of God. By the way, Philadelphia had a population of about 25,000 at that time. Can you imagine an auditorium in Philadelphia that held more people than the whole population of the town? What does that tell you? It tells me that people traveled from far and near, that people traveled great distances, that people went to great lengths and great expense to get to hear a man preach the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus, the love of God, the power of the shed blood of Christ, and they gathered by the thousands to hear a preacher preach about salvation. Not just in Philadelphia, but all of those colonies. And suddenly... In just a few years' time, 50% of the population of the colonies was naming the name of Jesus and attending church. Do you believe that if God could do that in 1754, that God can do that in 2018? Do you believe that God can so stir Christian people, that God can give a voice in a pulpit and can help men become so anointed that they lift up Jesus so high that people are drawn to him with conviction and with love 
am desiring for God. Oh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their affliction. I'll touch their nation if my people will just seek my face. What a revival awaits when God's people finally realize that being stirred for revival is the answer for America. Check out this prayer that was prayed. It's from the personal diary of George Washington, and it's in his own handwriting. Are you ready for this? You do know who George Washington is. Thank you for lifting that hand back there, Ray. I I saw two that admitted that they know George Washington. Get you a quarter out and see if you can find a picture of him. You need to get acquainted with him. Check out this prayer that he prayed. Let my heart, O gracious God, be so affected with your glory and your majesty that I may discharge those weighty duties which thou requirest of me. Again, I have called on thee for pardon and forgiveness of sin for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered on the cross for me. Thou gavest thy son to die for me and hast given me the assurance of my salvation. That prayer written in his own handwriting by the first president of the United States. Do you believe God ever answered that prayer for him? You think it was just happenstance that when he was on the other side of the Potomac and needed to escape from Cornwallis and all of those redcoats that the fate of a nation rested upon what happened right there and God caused I said, George Washington said, God caused the fog to come in and they escaped from the army of Cornwallis because God provided the cover for them. That a bunch of ragtag field hands, Wainwrights and Wheelwrights, just common, ordinary sodbusters up against the greatest empire and the most powerful force in the whole world, the British Empire. Do you believe a bunch of guys that knew how to handle pitchforks and picks and axes went up against armies like that and won? Are you going to call that luck? Are you going to call that coincidence and just fate? No. If you look at those odds, you'll have to say there had to be a supreme power and there had to be a mighty hand and an outstretched arm in the survival of our country. Over a 10-year period, Political science professors at the University of Houston collected and cataloged 15,000 writings by founding fathers. Their goal was to determine the primary source of ideas behind the Constitution by identifying the sources that were quoted by the framers of the Constitution. Guess what that primary source was? It was the Bible. 94% of the quotes of the founders of our nation were based upon the Bible. 
The point of all this is that the cultural environment on the eve of the American Revolution was undeniably spiritual. Undeniably spiritual. And this focus dramatically affected men and women who gave birth to this nation. Men and women who acknowledged God. Here's the third thing I think is right with America. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged that God was supreme and sovereign over men and nations. No, they weren't perfect. They weren't all devout, but they all acknowledged God. Have you read lately the preamble, the prologue to the Declaration of Independence? Listen to what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure those rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving from their just powers from the consent of the governed. They're saying we want a form of government whose job is to protect what the Creator has given to each of us. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of this world. You mean Congress put in their preamble submitting ourselves to the judge of this world, the supreme judge of this world. Wow. They're saying that God is the supreme judge of the world. And they end the declaration with this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledge to our, our lives to each other, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Have you seen that portrait of the Continental Congress where they all are bowed on their knees and praying? When they came up against one article that was in the Constitution, when they were coming to grips with these very tough issues, one man suggested, why don't we pray? And every delegate got on his knees, and the portrait that is painted is with all of them on their knees praying. And when they rose from their knees, the vote used unanimous in agreement on that issue. John Adams wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, about that event. And he said, the most amazing thing occurred. Even the stern old Quakers had tears gushing down their cheeks. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if our president, our cabinet, our Supreme Court, our House of Representatives, our Senate, our governors would all together at one time kneel down and pray and ask the judge of all the earth for his will to be done. I'd like to see a portrait like that, wouldn't you? I think that portrait would be invaluable. I think that portrait would be an all-time best. 
at the signing of the Declaration, Samuel Adams, who is called the father of the revolution, declared this. We have this day restored the sovereign God to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Wow. Regardless of what's being written and taught today, we're the only nation on earth that's built upon the Christian faith. And I believe that with all my heart. And I think you ought to give a round of applause and thank God for being in a nation. Let me give you these short ones. George Washington said, It would be impossible to govern rightly without God and without the Bible. President John Adams said, It would be impossible to govern without the Ten Commandments. The Pilgrim Charter of 1620 states that the purpose was to advance the enlargement of the Christian religion by the glory of God. Before the pilgrims arrived on our shores, the Mayfire Common, for the glory of God. 1632, when Maryland was chartered as a colony, they wrote this, We are motivated with a pious zeal for extending the Christian religion. And Andy Jackson, anybody ever heard of Andrew Jackson? Seventh President of the United States said this, The Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. The Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. The last sentence in the Declaration of Faith says, For the support of this declaration, firm reliance upon the protection of God, we mutually pledge our lives. Eight days after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, printed on the side of the Liberty Bell, how many of you know what a Liberty Bell is? How many of you know that it's got a crack? Then you also should know it's got something wrote on it. You know what it's written on the Liberty Bell that's cracked? This is written on it. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Fourth verse. Did you know the Star Spangled Banner had verses? We only sing one of them, but it's got a a fourth one. You know what the fourth verse is? I won't sing it to you. I'll just tell it to you. Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. Wow. God has blessed America because of the way that we were founded. And God has brought us such a mighty long way. And I believe that God's hand is still upon America. No one said it better than that red-headed, fair-skinned follower of the Lord Jesus from Virginia named Patrick Henry. Yes, the one who said, give me liberty or give me death. They had gathered at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, to discuss how to deal with the tyranny and the oppression. On March 23rd, this 39-year-old Christian stood up to his feet and uttered some words that would become the spark that would light the fires of freedom. He said, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That patriot founding father said this, 
It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted freedom. We have these rights because of what our forefathers forged out for us and left as a legacy to all of us. During the 1800s, Alex Tocqueville, a famous French political philosopher, come on, Connor, visited our nation. He was writing a work, a book that was to be a landmark about democracy in America. Dr. John McDowell, who was a president, a Presbyterian minister, attributed the, the statement to Tocqueville, and he made this statement. While proof is lacking that he is the author, President Eisenhower, President Reagan, and President Clinton have all quoted this, what I'm about to read to you. I sought for America's greatness. I found it not in her fields and her forests. I found it not in her mines or her factories. I found it not in her Congress or her great tribunals. It was only when I entered her churches and heard her pulpits thundering against sin and preaching righteousness that I discovered her greatness. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. I've told you before, do you know what the tallest structure is in Washington, D.C.? It's the Washington Monument. It's the tallest structure in all of the city. You know what else? There is a law in Washington, D.C. that no building can ever be built that is taller than the Washington Monument. No building, no structure can ever be raised higher than the Washington Monument, that huge tower. You know what is inscribed on the pinnacle of the Washington Monument? It's on top in that little pentagon there. You know what's written on that? Let God be praised. Let God be praised. Don't ever let a building rise so high that it obscures let God be praised. Don't ever let a tower, don't ever let anything ever rise so high that it would dwarf let God be praised. Always let that be the highest thing is let God be praised and let God be thanked. There may be legislators who don't know that. There's probably Supreme Court justices that don't know that. God forbid there'd ever be a president that did not know that. But everybody needs to know that there is nothing higher than let God be praised. Stand with me. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. God be thanked 
What have I got to thank Him for? God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But through Jesus Christ, you have made children of God in Him. God be thanked that I'm saved. God be thanked today that I'm saved. God be thanked today that I'm saved. I walked around Wednesday night with the microphone and stuck it down to the mouth of people in that building. And I said, what's the greatest thing that ever happened to you? What's the greatest miracle? I ask you, 86 wonderful years of living for God. What's the greatest miracle ever happened for you? When the Lord saved me. When the Lord saved you. Don, what's the greatest miracle you ever had? When God saved me. When God saved me. Did you know that everybody in the house Wednesday night said the same thing? God be thanked that I was lost and hopeless and without God. But God be thanked that I am now found in Him. God be thanked that I'm forgiven for sin. God be thanked that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. God be thanked. God be thanked that I, I'm not what I used to be. I don't have the faith that I used to have. I have a new future because of who I am in Jesus. God be thanked. Thank God for the remission of sin. God be thanked that this is not that that I preached about the other day. God be thanked that there's something so much better that God has for every one of us. God be thanked that there's a heaven to gain. God be thanked that there's a, a future home of the righteous prepared for them that love Him. God be thanked that one day those eastern skies are going to erupt with the brilliant brightness of His appearing. The trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We'll be caught away to meet God in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. God be thanked that we're looking forward, not backward. God be thanked that we have confidence, not dismal desolation. God be thanked that we can be encouraged. God be thanked that He has good things in store for them that love Him. God be thanked. And I thank God that somewhere in heaven there's a book that's called Lamb's Book of Life. God be thanked that there's a name written in that book, Rankin Jerome Irwin. And I rise above all doubt and fear, and I read my title clear. I know, I know my name is written there. Oh, God be thanked that my name is in that book. Thank you, God. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but now have become the righteousness of God. God be thanked. God be thanked that you one time was on your way to a devil's hell. God be thanked that you used to live under the dominion and the power of the devil. God be thanked that in your past you were bond, in bondage and a slave to sin, but God be thanked that now you're free. 
God be thanked that now you have freedom in Christ. God be thanked. So when you gather around that Thanksgiving table this Thursday or Wednesday, whenever you celebrate with your family, you be sure and tell them, I am what I am by the grace of God. And when you pray that Thanksgiving prayer, you say, God, I thank you. I thank you for all the benefits and blessings of life, and I thank you for salvation. So when this nation, this coming week, gathers around a dinner event, an eating event, something designed for unity to bring people together, while there's so much divisiveness and chaos in the world, it's ironic that we're celebrating and bringing people together and unifying people. But remind everyone the reason for that Thanksgiving Day is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray, for purple mountains' majesty above thy fruited plain. America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. O'er the mountains, through the prairies, to the ocean, white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. Thank you, God. Could you just give God one more round of applause and say thank you, God. Thank you, God. I know we preached a little different today than what I usually do, but I just felt like reminding you because you won't hear it if you don't hear it in pulpits. You won't hear it on newscasts and you won't hear it on major outlets. And the pulpits of America has got to call America to revival. I said the pulpits of America have got to call America to revival. And a world that is in crisis needs a church that's in revival. I believe that with all my heart. God be with our people this week as they celebrate Thanksgiving. Those that travel, God, I pray for traveling mercy. And I ask you to go with them and protect them and keep them safe from harm and danger. I ask you to be with all of our folks as they gather around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And for those children or those loved ones, God, that are not prepared to meet you, I pray that some word will be said or some gesture that will point them toward the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. I ask you to be with us all, O oh Lord, during this holiday event and keep us in your care and your keeping. In Jesus' name, 
Amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you. Have a great, great Thanksgiving.